Jill from Gramsci Melodic. This is Martin from Gramsci Melodic, and you are listening to Iron City Podcast with John. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. The Iron City Rocks podcast is a podcast devoted to promoting Pittsburgh-based hard rock, heavy metal, and rock music. I'm your host, John. Episode 9 is going to be another special episode where we'll feature an interview with a band named Gramsci Melodic who will be releasing their debut CD later this week. This interview was conducted on Wednesday, June 10th. The album will be released on June 13th and they will be having a gig at Alter Bar to celebrate. You can find more information about the band on ironcityrocks.com under the podcast section, or you can go to their website, gromshimelodic.com. I'm going to play a couple tracks before we go into the interview. The first song is a song called Empty, and the second song is called Spectra. So if you enjoy the songs, check out the interview, and uh, we'll talk to you in a bit. Searching for the 
Don't need you there You're now all in here The memories of fame Your turn is a bill
legs, cut the head, the tail remains. Cut the arms, cut the legs, cut the head, the tail remains. We have Martin Rubio from the band Gramsci Melodic. He's got a new CD coming out this week. Um, welcome, Martin. Good to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot, John, for having us. No problem. Um, I want to tell you, we had featured your band a couple episodes ago on the podcast, but for those of you not familiar, um, you want to give us a little background on Gramsci Melodic? Um, you know, how did the band originate? Where are you from? You know, that kind of you know, bio information, if you would. Yeah, sure. Um, we are all now based out of the Pittsburgh area. One of our members, guy who plays the synths and programs for us, uh, is originally from England, but we all, you know, the band formed here in Pittsburgh. Um, and the name comes from uh, an Italian philosopher, Antonio Gramsci, which when okay. I started uh, doing the music, I actually started as a, uh, a kind of a solo act, and I was just doing these recordings in my living room, and I was, I'm a school teacher, so I wanted a pseudonym, and I picked Gramsci because I studied uh, political science. It was kind of a way to, you know, refer, uh, give a shout to my uh, political theory courses that I took as an undergrad, and um, yeah, I mean, eventually it, it stuck, never never realizing that uh, it would become a live act, and otherwise I maybe would have put, you know, some thought into picking something that's a little easier to pronounce. I like it's kind of, kind of an enigma. It sticks out. Yeah, I would say. When when did you get started with with the project? Like time one. Yeah, it would be about. I mean, this project itself, I would say, about three years that I've been doing it. However, a lot of the the songs, even on this this upcoming album, um, you know, I can trace those back to when I was 18 years old, and I'm going to be 30 this year. So I took about six years where I didn't uh, play any music whatsoever um and you know this really served as a, a bridge uh this album this process as a, as a bridge between you know playing when i was younger and playing now who else is who else is in the band with you someone yeah uh we have uh guy on keyboards greg haddock um he has kind of uh came to us with a hip-hop r&b background he he would compose beats for you know, some, some kids who, who were into hip-hop in his neighborhood. Um, and then we have a drummer, uh, Sean Rayall, who actually trained under uh, Roger uh, Roger Humphreys, uh, the noted jazz drummer. And, um, you know, he was basically a student of jazz and then some Latin percussion. Uh, bassist Tony Willow, who really comes from the Les Claypool school of um you know, very intricate bass lines that he'll come up with. As a matter of fact, if anything, our music probably doesn't feature his uh, virtuosic skill enough. Uh, but, you know, 
it, it comes together nonetheless. And then the last uh, person is uh, Old York, who plays uh, synthesizers and programs, and he's the one from England, um, and who really hadn't played uh, music before this experience. He was my roommate for a bit of time, and I could tell he had yeah. an ear. And uh, what, what, what instrument do you play? I play guitar. Okay. Yeah, I play guitar insane. Okay, you're the vocalist? Yes. Okay. And um, so were you born in Pittsburgh, in the Pittsburgh area? Yeah, I was um, Pittsburgh. Well, I, I, I was born in, in, in Pittsburgh, raised in, in Castle Shannon, and my family moved to Peters Township. And then I okay. went away to school. But other than that, I came I came back after after college. So, yeah. lifelong. Who would you consider, like, influences on you musically? Guys, I, mean, I, I remember, I think I commented on the show initially, kind of reminded me of New Order, but um, where do you guys draw influence from? Just yeah, I mean, my, my my influence is, to be honest, I mean, there's the the, the local sort of influence, which would be my, my dad and my, my uncles. You know, every every Christmas and, and holiday, we, we'd sit around, and my great-uncles would sit and play uh, jazz guitar, and their wives would sing along, you know, classics like uh, Sweet Georgia Brown. And then, you know, when I kind of got into my own music as I, as I grew up, um, I really became very influenced by... Uh, the Talking Heads, they might be Giant and Ween. But um, when I went to college, I had a uh, composition professor by the name of Bill Duckworth, who is a noted composer in his own right, um, who really, def- you know, I would say influenced quite a bit the uh, to writing. And then, you know, Joel certainly has a whole other list uh, of influences. So if you want to take it from here, Joel. Sure, yeah. Um Certainly, when I was growing up, uh, my influences were bands such as, uh, you know, kind of the British and uh, uh, I enjoyed the Smiths quite a bit. Um, those kind of bands, Morrissey. Um, uh, m- most of the, uh, you know, kind of uh, also 90s uh, Britpop as well. Uh, some of the, you know, the Oasis and, and, and Blur and that kind of uh, material there were uh, certainly things that I enjoyed listening to when I was... Uh, Growing up, and uh, to be honest, I, I never really expected to be uh, to be in a band uh, as such. And uh, you know, it's, it's it's just interesting to uh, to actually see what you know everybody brings to the table uh, in terms of their musical style and interests as well. Yeah, you guys sound like you're kind of coming from all all points on the earth um, as far as influence, jazz, and uh, when I think of Les Claypool, I think of some funk and. Even uh, and certainly uh, new wave, uh, kind of British new wave influence, I can feel. Um, were either of you professionally trained as musicians? You had met, Martin. You had mentioned the composition professor, right? Were you, like music majors in school, or? Well, I, I wasn't. Um, well, I, I ended up getting a degree, a, a sort of music degree. Uh, but like I said, I went to school for political science. And okay. what happened, I, I actually finished my credits um, pretty early. And, and I went to school in Central PA called Bucknell University. And, and when I was there, they were very open to, you know, if, if you wanted to kind of create an interdepartmental major. And I knew I didn't have the music theory background to be a traditional music major. And that's when I approached, um, you know, Bill Duckworth. And, and we basically, 
I took his composition courses. I, I caught up as much as I could with the theory, but I also took poetry courses, and I was actually composing stuff that sounds nothing like uh, Gramsci Melodic. It, it, it really was more in the vein of Laurie Anderson, uh, if you're familiar with her, that kind of performance uh, okay. music. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't call it straight-up avant-garde, but certainly not something that you performing in a bar anytime soon. So, I mean, that was the extent of my training. I did, I did, in fact, spend quite a bit of time um, working with composition and have a degree in it. Um, and then before Joel takes over, the other guys, um, the only one with any other formal uh, post-secondary training is the drummer. Uh, he went to McNally Smith uh, College of Music and Performance in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. Okay. Okay, yeah, in terms of, uh, I, I've not really got any musical training as such. Uh, my degree was actually in French and uh, political science. So the political science aspect of it is, uh, you know, something that, that interested me in, in, in Marty's concepts here, uh, especially when I heard that, that, you know, the band was going to be called Gramsci Melodic. I, I certainly drew from, uh, you know, some of my... Uh, experience uh, at college learning about all the, the various kind of uh, political ideologies uh, out there and uh, obviously Gramsci was uh, something that I uh, looked into uh, uh, you know during my my time uh, at university back home in England yeah okay. I mean to give Joel to, to give Joel more credit he's way too modest I mean the fact of the matter is while he didn't have formal training when we when we lived together for a brief period of time uh, I mean his his ear really is is phenomenal to me. I mean, he yeah. could sit there and pick stuff out and isolate parts in music, and uh, I knew it was just a matter of, you know, kind of sitting down and, and applying that. Plus, he has a computer yeah. science background. I mean, wouldn't you agree? Uh, no, that's 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 pretty much how it was. I mean, I just needed kind of a kickstart, really, and then, you know, I kind of rolled with it after that. But, you know, my part in particular is uh, just another proportion of um, what, what what the music is for us and that's just an extra layer and it's sometimes a very subtle layer um, but I actually think it's it's an important layer and we we actually discovered that I think while we were uh, you know going ahead and recording some of these songs um, actually listening to the songs without some of the uh, the synth backgrounds and, and the subtleties that it actually does bring to a track I think uh, came out um, during that period. Perfect. Talk a little bit about the writing and the recording of your new CD. Uh, you know, do you write apart from the group together? Um, you know, how were the songs tracked? Did you track them kind of out of the group, or did they go the Pro Tools route? Or well, we um, we were very fortunate, and and you know, we were patient. That's one thing that I think um, certainly served us well in the end was our patience. We didn't rush to record. We didn't rush to find a studio. Rather, we um, you know, kept ourselves open, and we knew that when we did want to go and record a full-length album, that we were going to do it right. Um, we weren't going to try to, you know, cut corners um, unnecessarily. So, you know, serendipity stepped in, and sure enough, uh, a man named Hollis Greathouse, a producer based in the North Hills, uh, kind of, I guess you could say, you know, discovered or came in and, and saw us play, didn't know us prior and really liked what he heard and uh, uh, through our participation uh, in playing the series of shows he ended up extending the offer to record us and you know this is a guy 
that while he now is based in Pittsburgh, is, is from Nashville. Um, Audible Images, the studio that he co-owns, has three Grammys to its name. You know, he's recorded Dave Matthews, Richie Sambora, Neo. Basically, you're walking in with a, a true professional, and to have him tell you that he believes in it um, gave us that much more confidence. Yeah, exactly. But you've got a, you know, a very keen sense of ears listening to you, and you know, you're going to take his criticism as constructive. Absolutely. And, and you know, when it comes to the writing, um, again, a lot of these songs, even before there was a band, I had already written, and I had already written parts for them. That said, it really isn't a, uh, a Gromsky melodic song until everyone kind of has their fair shake at it, at their yeah. individual part. I mean, Joel, would you uh, agree would with agree, that? I uh, completely, yeah. It, it was funny when we first started out and we were just, you know, you kind of gave us a CD and obviously I had listened to a lot of the music um, before, beforehand when you was, uh, you know, you were sending it to me um, as attachments to emails and I was just listening in before I even knew I would be a part of the band and kind of cluing in them. But, you know, as soon as everybody started get, getting together and everybody was given the CD and given, like, the basics of how the song is going to be in the basic structure. And, and I think it really did evolve um, just through through sheer practice and finding out what, what eventually sounded good and what kind of matched up together. So it, it was certainly an, an evolution, even though the structure was already in place to a certain degree. Right. Now, did you guys do the, the CD was kind of done on your own expense, or have you had interest from major record labels or independent record labels? You know, we initially, um, things sort of fell through with it, but there was um, an independent label um, that that was interested. Uh, however, they ended up ceasing to be in business. Um, and that said, you know, we were kind of lukewarm on, on the notion ourselves. Now, major label-wise, I can tell you we, we've heard nothing. But and when it comes to expense, though, this is also where, you know, we really lucked out, and uh, it, I guess it's a compliment, uh as well, because Hollis uh, ended up recording us, um, you know, at very minimal cost. And, um, again, it was because he, you know, believed in, in the sound and uh, had heard it. And uh, so now we're kind of in a strange situation. You know, we are in a rare situation where you have a professionally produced CD by a Grammy nominee and a Grammy-winning studio where we own 100% of the music and 100% of the discs, you know, it's, it's odd. So it really makes us, um, wary of, yeah, you know, rushing yeah. out to sign. Yeah. You don't want to sign your life away to get a, a distribution deal that you could probably, you know, with the right promotion on CD baby and I help yourself. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, this CD is already going to be on CD baby. It's on indiemusic.com. It's going to be on Amazon, on iTunes, etc. And, you know, the thing with a lot of labels, um, unless they are, you know, the distribution is vast or the exposure is vast, a lot of times it doesn't really, uh, you know, in my experience anyway, it doesn't seem like it's worthwhile um, signing that much away because you're left asking, you know, what are we getting from this? How, how is this benefiting us? Um, you know, just be able to put some such-and-such such record company label on your website or on your album, I'm not sure that that carries enough weight, especially nowadays, you know, when you see a lot of these indie labels crumbling, being taken over by the majors, 
and you see the majors themselves, um, quite frankly, struggling financially and, and not really signing new artists these last couple of years. Yeah, unless you're going to get a massive amount of promotional right. material out of the record label. Um, speaking of that, like, you guys, are, are you going to be touring, like, regionally with the CD or anything in the works there? Well, I mean, Joel, you kind of can take this one. I mean, you kind of know our, our plan. Yeah, I mean, we do we do hope to branch out a little bit, particularly in the area. Um, you know, at least uh, once or, or twice a month, actually get out of the uh, the Pittsburgh area and kind of take the message uh, a little, you know, further further away from our home base. Um, but we're also going to be doing, I think, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, we're going to be playing gigs locally in, in addition to doing that. But you know, I don't think we have specific tours planned as yet. Um, but yeah. it's something that we are looking to do, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the, again, it's, it's really reflects how much things have changed, I think. Um, you know, because quite frankly, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the, the, the plan was get in a van and, and drive cross country and, and play every small club you can. And, and nowadays, with the advent of, of the internet uh, being such a music clearinghouse, I'm really not sure that that's the, uh, the most responsible or reasonable uh, path to take. I mean, if you're going to be playing in front of five people in Austin, Texas, I'm not sure that it, it's really benefiting you um, other than to see the country. The, you know, it, it, it reflects how much the music industry has changed over the last 15 years. Because, you know, 15 years ago, when when I was just getting into playing, you know, the plan was you get in a van and you drive cross country and you play all these small clubs on your way. And, you know, band, some bands still do that and they, some do it rather successfully. However, for a band of our size, um, you know, with the advent of the Internet and it's such a music clearinghouse, I'm not sure that that's, you know, resources best spent. Um, to get in a van and go play in front of five people in Austin, Texas, I'm not sure really benefits um, and act like us. Um, whereas, you know, if we kind of just choose our shows, play some larger cities when we can. You know, we're certainly going to be playing out in Philadelphia, um, you know, get to New York, play the colleges. That's the big thing for us. Um, I think that if you just really focus your, your efforts, that word of mouth and, and net uh, resources are going to be every bit as formidable as, as, you know, what touring used to be for a small uh, to mid-size act. Let me ask you this. We had, um, just a few weeks ago, I had um, Mike Bopicki of Rusted Root on the show, and I asked him this question, and there's an act that has sold you know, millions of albums in their day. Yeah. How would, would you think that the Internet for a, for a band like yourself is, is a blessing in that it gets you the ability to get you know, get a song and you record it today, get it on MySpace tomorrow and have the whole world listen to it? Or does it make it harder in that you're fighting with 20,000 other acts that can do the exact same thing? Obviously, to different degrees of quality. Right. So go ahead and take that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a two-edged sword in that particular way. It's, 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 it's brilliant for actually getting your actual material out there to people. And I, but I do see the flip side of it there in that it's such a saturated area that there's so many artists and, you know, it's, it's hard, I guess, to uh, 
for somebody coming into it to actually come across your band to a certain degree because of you know the, sh- the sheer number of, uh, of bands that are out there and I guess you know some people would just have to just happen upon it almost um, because of that yeah you know yeah, the thing is though if you, if you take the flip side of it and I completely agree with you Joel but you know we wouldn't be doing this this interview right now if it weren't for the internet you know we never oh, would have yeah. come across your show John and, yeah, you know, that's a big part of it, isn't it? I mean, you know, someone like yourself puts on a great podcast that really showcases local music, and you have everyone from the stature of Rusted Root to startup bands to to anything in between, and sure. that in and of itself breeds a community. And I think, you know, when it comes to saturation, I, I agree it's tough to sift through a lot of it. But the flip side is that saturation kind of was always there. The difference. It just wasn't there for you to listen to it. Um, you know, those just were demo tapes that were being sent to the labels where, you know, mm-hmm. they just got 300 demo tapes uh, with today's mail. How many are they actually listening to? So in terms of challenges on our end, I guess you still have to kind of believe uh, in your heart that, that cream will rise. And and hopefully that's the case uh, with us, you know, not to sound pretentious, but hopefully the product will speak for itself and kind of separate itself from the flock in that regard. Absolutely. Um, kind of a um, maybe a different question here. The uh, character that's featured on the front of your album. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Is that uh, something someone in the band came up with? Is that kind of the unofficial mascot of the band, or is that a caricature of one of yourself? Uh, it's not a caricature of us, but it, it um, actually I in, in the years in between when when I said I wasn't playing music, I, I worked um, before I was teacher for. Uh, you know, kind of corporate world, um, and uh, was part of a fairly large layoff. Um, and a buddy of mine who, who had worked there, and for him it was much more of a career path. Um, you know, he, he, we really took it hard, he did anyway. For me, I was going to grad school, so it wasn't as detrimental. But we remembered the, the CFO of the company speaking before everyone and um, just kind of having this this false compassion um, and we just thought, you know, you're, you're nothing but a hatchet man. And, and you came in here just to, to bring it down on us and, and act like you feel bad about it. But really, you know, you, you did exactly what was expected of you, and you're going to reap the rewards of it. And sure enough, you did, um, you know, with a relocation and salary increase. But that kind of inspired the initial drawing and then we had come across some similar type drawings and and artwork uh corporate style artwork so a few years passed and i'm talking to the the guy you know with whom i worked um my friend at the company and told him i was doing this band and i had the pseudonym and was looking for some type of artwork and uh he came to me with this drawing and and that has ever since been associated with the band and it's kind of unofficial name is is art um, and, uh, you know, we just kind of rolled with it and it became a live mascot probably about a year into us playing together where our, our keyboardist made this gigantic paper mache head. We went and bought a suit at the store. We got a money tip, uh, tie, uh, tie clip. And, um, next thing you know, every show we had this dancing oversized green head and we really got into it. I mean... I didn't plan on it being a permanent fixture, but, you know, it, it kind of uh, 
became bigger than any of us. I've often um, I've often um, thought bands like um, a couple come to mind like Iron Maiden and even Molly Hatchet sometimes. The fact that they didn't put their faces on the record cover was was probably a cool idea, and it, you know it gives you a, a, almost a brand sort of a trademark sort of character, and I, I really liked it. I thought it was excellent. Um, oh, thank you. Before we go, um, just um, if could how how can uh, listeners get in touch with you guys, or you know, where are you guys at on the website right now? Well, well you can take that. Uh, well, we have the uh, the main band website, which is uh, Uh But we also have a, a MySpace page, uh, which is www.myspace.com forward slash Gramsci37. Uh, I think we have a Facebook uh, page as well. Is that correct, Martin? Yeah, we do. Uh, unfortunately, they don't really have... URLs, it's like some weird number, but you can search for us on there. I mean, we're oh, on yeah, if you search. We're on indie music. We're on uh, Dig Station. We're on, uh, you know, it, it's going to be on CD Baby. Basically, um, you know, you talk about saturation. We've probably, you know, made sure that we're everywhere that we we kind of can be. Plus, everywhere. Yeah. And you know, we also do have shows coming up. We we have shows. Um, Apart from the CD release uh, on, on June 13th at Alter Bar, which there are still some tickets available, but we did sell out the first round, which was really nice. Um, $7 tickets, Alter Bar in the Strip District, uh, 10 p.m. show with a great band from North Carolina called Speed Square. Um, right. Then we'll be playing uh, in, in July, um, July 11th, uh, Mount Washington. They are now doing uh, community-based sort of uh, weekly arts fest on Saturday afternoons, and we agreed to play that to help them out. Uh, it's on the corner of Shiloh Street and Virginia Avenue. So, you know, and Molly Brannigan's, we play Mount Lebanon quite a bit because they gave us a break in the beginning, so now every two months we go play a show there. And, uh, yeah, it's a fun time. And, and I promise that people will not be disappointed uh, if they make it out. We, we give uh, people their money's worth and some because we really have fun, and we know that, you know, there's an expectation, and it should be met. Awesome. All right. Well, Joel and Martin, I appreciate you coming on the show today and uh, giving us some information and insight to uh, your band, and I uh, thank you for your time. Thanks a lot, Tom. Follow me, 
and waits for farmers to remain. Served up on a plate of fate till the kids it's time to eat. CIA Jack in Maine. Conspiracy. There's a purpose for this game, roll the dice and walk away. Our way down, the same way your dreams then. Mother figure, you can't move. www.ironcityrocks.com where you'll find links to Gramsci Melodic's website which is gramsciemelodic.com as well as all the bands that have been featured on the podcast. We're available via iTunes and via direct download from the website. If you have any questions or comments, please don't hesitate to drop us a line. Ironcityrocks at gmail.com myspace.com forward slash ironcityrock twitter.com forward slash ironcityrocks Hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you.